Hello and welcome to another episode of our MEP Life with me, Caroline Voden from the southwest of England and Gibraltar. And Judith Bunting from southeast of England. This week we are finishing up in Brussels before the long Yay. holidays. Woo, it's the end of term. There's a real end, end of term, term feeling. And Parliament closes for five weeks, which doesn't mean we're going on holiday for five weeks, but we won't be in Brussels or Strasbourg for for the next five weeks. So we thought we would have a look at what we've done this week and also have a little bit of a reflection on the last six or seven crazy weeks and, and have a brief chat about what we're going to do between now and September. Yes. So, Caroline, what have you been doing this week? Well, it's been a quieter week than normal. Um, there are definitely fewer people around and we haven't had as, as many committee meetings and things like that. So I've taken the opportunity this week to meet with several interesting people and have some conversations which will hopefully guide my work going forward. So I had a conversation with an organisation called NHS in Europe and they are part... Um, the, the woman I met with represents something called the Brexit Health Alliance, which brings together groups uh, from right across the health industry. So everything from the pharmaceutical industry to patient groups to uh, the Royal College of Nurses, that kind of thing. And they have been looking at how Brexit is going to affect the NHS um, for three years. Yeah. And that was sobering. And, and what did they tell you? Is there anything you can share with us? Oh, what about drug well, provision? Well, it was a long meeting, but the, the, the main focus of our conversation w- was on drug supply and yeah. um, how, you know, there's a large proportion of drugs which are manufactured solely in the UK and exported to Europe. And then there's a whole load of other drugs that are manufactured only in Europe and, and brought into the UK. So their work has been trying to make health a priority in Brexit negotiations and make sure it doesn't fall down the list of priorities. Um One of the things that really, really frustrates me, and it did come out in this meeting, is that I have now had, since I've been here, and obviously for the last three years, have had so many countless conversations with people who say their sector, their business, their area is going to be so damaged by any kind of Brexit, a a Brexit with a withdrawal bill or, or no deal. But none of them will come out publicly and say it. And... Every time you speak to a charity, they say, we can't say anything public because it, we can't say anything political. Because we can't risk losing support, funding. donations, exactly. funding. Yeah. So my feeling yesterday was if every charity in the UK who deals with environmental issues, health issues, social care issues, you know, you name it, if they all came out in September and said... Brexit is going to be really, really damaging. I mean, would the Charity Commission really take them up on it if there were hundreds of them? I think not. But I think not. Know, and the other thing is, if people are worried about, certainly the people I'm speaking to are worried about the loss of Conservative support, and that's either donors or investors or customers, I can tell you an awful lot of Conservatives are coming over to the, um, the sensible line, the Remain line, mm. and more than I was expecting even voted Liberal Democrat in the last EU yeah. election. They don't want to go public about it but they have come to me quietly and some quite prominent conservatives in our area who said i had to vote for you it killed me but i had to vote for you because i cannot face what brexit will do to our area our town our country i know and i i said to to somebody i was meeting yesterday it's it's very frustrating as a politician to keep saying how damaging this will be if you can't get backed up by the by the lobbyists and the interest groups and 
Anyway, so that was one meeting and then just briefly another meeting with a really fantastic organisation called um, Seas at Risk and they are looking at every aspect of the marine environment and, and how why our seas are at risk. So everything from plastic pollution to overfishing to fishing in marine protected areas to noise pollution and... As I've said before, I'm on both the environment and the transport committees. So um, maritime transport is actually a brilliant crossover for me and looking at how the shipping industry and the fishing industry is actually being really damaging to the marine environment. So that's possibly something I'll take on and, and have a look at when we get back in September. Very good, very good. And what um, have you been up to? Well, talking about pollution, um, yesterday I submitted a question to the Commission about mercury lamps and... <laughs> In 2011, um, mercury lamps were made illegal. You know, they were banned, so you're supposed to get rid of them and replace them with something else, like LEDs are the, are the perfect replacement. Um, but the commission was lobbied by large companies like Osram and Siemens and a couple of others whose names I can't remember. Um, but there are other lamp manufacturers. And... Um, they were saying that when you have these uh, fluorescent tubes in large office areas, large warehouses, large theatres even, um, it's very difficult to change the lamps. So what people do practically is they bring in scaffolding once every few years and they change all of the lamps and they put in more flurry tubes, which is fine, except this means that 2,000 kilograms of mercury is going into the environment every year because these manner of buildings have got a derogation for this. And somehow, I'm not going to go into the details, but somehow they have managed to make it so that the rule still doesn't apply to them. They've challenged, oh, now there's a socioeconomic study and, and a review underway, which was supposed to report a year ago. And, oh, funnily enough, it hasn't reported yet. So um, myself and another Finnish minister and perhaps some others, were putting in written questions to the Commission saying, ban these lamps. You know, they've had plenty enough time to manage the change, to manage any socioeconomic changes. They have got to be able to put in LED tubes because, or find other LED lamps that will do the job because otherwise we are still polluting the environment yeah. in a way we just don't need to. So, yeah, and I think with a lot of these things, it's a question of enough talk. Now it's time for action. We no, just have to start taking these decisions. And yeah. it's not like people didn't know they were coming. Yeah, absolutely. So I, think, I think there's going to be an awful lot of that. One yes. of the highlights of my week was meeting up with a guy I worked with in Yugoslavia, in Croatia oh, and fantastic. the former Yugoslavia. 20 years ago. Wow. And he took over from me in the Reuters office when I left and became the Reuters chief correspondent in Zagreb. And he now works in Brussels. And it's taken all this time to actually sit down together and have some food because things have been so crazy. That's how crazy it's been. So yes. last week of term, there was a really nice reunion really nice and uh, yeah. yeah and yeah. hopefully I'll see much more of him from September but um and yeah, who does he work for at the moment he works for Euractive he's the editor oh, at Euractive okay. which is a news agency in Brussels that writes news about what's going on in the European institutions and it's kind of it's read by the Brussels bubble I suppose yeah, yeah. um the euro bubble here but it, uh his reporters come from right across the European Union so they're, they all have their specialities, they all know their nations and, and they're really plugged in and it's quite exciting. But it is worth saying that um, things like Euroactive, Euronews, which is very much Euro, you know, Brussels bubble, and um, Politico, aspects of their work are available to everyone on the internet. Hmm. So if you are interested and you want to know more about what's going on here, don't 
just listen to us. Um, go and look out your active Euro News mm. and Politico. They're the ones I've come across so far. And they give a lot of information, a lot of news um, about what's going on in Brussels and Strasbourg. And what they do really well is they do morning briefings. So mm. I think with both your active and Politico, you can sign. You may have to take a subscription to your active. I think it might be more a sort of business to business level thing. But Politico, you can sign up to daily um, briefings on different areas. So you can have an agriculture briefing or a health briefing, I think. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what they all are. Um, but different briefings that summarise the that's news for that good. day, that which is, is quite a good sort of starter in the morning. Yeah, that's very good. So I'm going to tell you another thing, a small thing that I did this week. Uh, well, I did. I was part of our committee, um, the Renew group on the committee that did this. And um, the... The committee work from last time, the Creative Europe, the Erasmus Plus and a couple of other files, the names of which escape me right now, sorry. Uh, Creative Europe, Europe for Citizens. This is a good one. Programme supports organisations that engage in projects that promote understanding between the union and its citizens, deepening awareness of what it means to be part of the European Union. Um, the budgets were being set for these, and so Renew have petitioned for these and for Erasmus Plus to have a 10% increase in their budgets because we think that this kind of communication, this kind of spreading of, of opportunities to travel and learn about each other uh, across Europe are really positive. So it was simple. I only had to sign, but it's a positive move. Mm. And then for both of us, we had a meeting with the three million yeah, and that the was British great. in Europe. Yeah. yeah, really, really concerning. And quite sobering to hear yeah. their stories. So these yeah. are people who, uh, sort of two interest groups that have come together. So uh, one of them represents the British people who now live, um, I, I can't say in Europe, because Britain is still in, in Europe, Europe, but yes. British people who live in the EU 27, so not in the UK. And then... Uh, citizens of any of the 27 other EU member states who live in the UK. Mm. These are people who have gone abroad, lots of young people who've gone abroad to, to, to take up work opportunities and may have settled and perhaps had a family um, and now find themselves in this yeah. awful situation where their rights are not guaranteed and particularly if, if there's a no-deal Brexit. Well, one example... Uh, so one one woman who I spoke to, who's part of the group who came to visit us, she's Dutch, but she's been living in England with her partner for a very, very long while, like 20, 25 years. Mm. And she applied for British citizenship, citizenship. Uh, a few months ago now, and it was turned down because she couldn't hand in her original passport. She couldn't hand in her original passport because she was travelling, because her father was ill. So she had to go back to Holland and she was travelling to meet her father. She explained why and submitted a photocopy. It took them three or four months and then they came back saying, no, it was a copy, so you can't have it. So she's, it, it costs money, it mm. takes time, it causes worry. And the issue for me here, the thing that really really bugs me is when I meet I've met more Europeans in Britain than Brits in Europe but the same goes and often they've been there for 20 or 30 mm. years they have settled lives and they have settled careers and they have families and children and parents and friends and you just think all of that's being taken away yeah and some people you know they get a passport but their child doesn't well, I think this is part of the complicating factor, isn't it? And going yes. forward that, you know, they were talking about um, spousal rights. So 
you know, what happens to a British woman who's married to a French man who wants to come back to the UK post no deal Brexit? Will her husband be allowed into the UK? And there's absolutely no guarantee at the moment that he would and that he might be under the same conditions as people from any third country, which most people would say, well, why not? Because if we're not members of the European Union, it, France would be a third country. But I think... Part of the issue is that these people who are currently in this situation are going to lose rights that, that they that they believe they had. I mean, going forward, you know, if if we leave the European Union in a couple of months' time with no deal, and you choose to, to go and live in Europe and to marry someone from Italy or Portugal, you would do that under the knowledge that yes. it might be difficult to yes. come back to the UK. It is like the UK is breaking a contract. Yeah. There was a contract in place when these people decided to live and work where they decided to live and work. Mm. We are now breaking that contract. They shouldn't have to pay the consequences. And two, three years ago now, a certain Conservative MEP, who shall remain nameless, um, but those of you who live there know who he is, um, stood in a room of 400 people or so saying it's a no-brainer of course we will sort out the citizens rights and I have to say if I'd been Theresa May if I was really Theresa May and I wanted Brexit I would have gone into the negotiations guaranteeing citizens rights absolutely from day one from day one you take the moral high ground you know that you cannot treat people like this you Mm. do not use them as bargaining chips and if you set a high high tone then others will fall in line behind you but we didn't lead we didn't lead with goodwill and 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 high-mindedness and now we're in this mess and i don't even want brexit i have to say again i do not want brexit i want everything to stay it made me slightly sad this week although no surprise that theresa may didn't as her final act as prime minister just say actually I think I, before I go, I'm going to revoke Article 50. <laughs> God, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, the moment was there, but never mind. But never mind. And we wake up in Brussels to a dawn of uh, what I would say is quite a scary new cabinet at yeah. home. Uh, yeah. Dominic Raab, Priti Patel, yeah. Sajid Javid. Um, um, I mean, it's a leave. Dominic Cummings behind the scenes. You yeah. know, this is vote leave all over again. He's brought the whole organisation of vote leave in yeah. to run his government. And that can only mean one thing. So has anybody, has anybody told you anything about Brexit that will be positive for the UK? In, throughout all of this debate, and I have challenged a number of people, what, apart from take back control, which we know is a complete fallacy, and sovereignty, which we've always had and we've never lost. Not one person has offered me a sound, rational, unemotional argument for why Brexit is better for the UK. Any ideas? I can't think of any. No. And that's not just, I promise you, I prefer to understand my, um, I don't want to say enemies because that's a bit harsh, but I prefer to understand the other side of any argument that I'm taking. And that's that's partly because that's the best way to get around them and to get what you want. Um, But partly because, you know, maybe they have a point. And I have asked and asked. I have listened to every hostings I've been to and been part of. I've asked individuals. I've asked people online. And... I get emotional responses back. And, you know, the emotional argument is great and it's me. It, it means something. It does. I, I really acknowledge that. But when you're out of work in a year or two 
And we're in the middle of yet another recession, having just just about got our head out of, you know, above water after the 2008 recession. Another another 2% has been knocked off our economy already. Um, we'll never get it back. We lost 6% of the economy in the 2008 recession. We will never get it back. We are always now 8% smaller than we would have been if, if those two events hadn't happened. Lord knows what's going to happen in the next few years. So here we are, end of term. Um, how are you going to get home today, Caroline? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. It's about 40 degrees in Brussels yes. and yesterday the Eurostar melted. Um, well, not quite. That's probably not the technical term. But our colleagues, uh, not only British colleagues, but colleagues from all over Europe were trying to leave Brussels and the trains... There was a problem with an overhead power line. I think it was related to the heat. Yes, and, it was. Um, and they're worried about the, the line swelling, uh, swelling, you know, expanding with yeah. the heat, which is perfectly reasonable. But the... Uh, so yeah. I had actually, I hadn't realised that this week would be such a last week of t- term feeling and, and that most people would go home on the Wednesday. I just yeah. hadn't really clocked that. So I had booked my travel to go home on Thursday. I told my family I'd be away till Thursday and I was going to finish up, tidy up all the loose ends. So actually, I was actually planning to stay here last night. But we have a, a Lib Dem group whatsapp uh, a lived in whatsapp group and it was well hilarious would be the wrong word but last night was 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 comedy really because we had one person who couldn't get the train and had decided to fly so then was on a train to paris which also got stuck in amongst all the other trains and somebody else who had been um stuck at lille for hours and hours it was 40 degrees there was no air conditioning there was no food um and so it went on people on trains people trying to get on trains um flights that were cancelled and it was carnage and i think four of our group came back to brussels and just booked another night in a hotel and And this is why when people criticise us for buying first class or business class travel tickets, this is exactly why we do it. So I currently, you asked me how I'm getting home, I currently have one ticket for the Eurostar Mm -hmm. for this afternoon and one ticket for a flight out of Paris to take me back to Exeter this evening. And I thought I would wait and see how it goes, but I'm veering on trying to get to Paris and and then fly, miss London completely yes, and fly, yes, fly yes. to Exeter. I, I choose not to fly. I, I try really hard not to fly, but I just want to get home now. And I think, <laughs> I think I'm on a, on a flight out tonight oh, yeah, to get home. Yeah. Get, 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 yes, get home. And the, um, uh, this is all about the weather, which doesn't happen that often. But I reckon I've changed at least three of my flights, my travel in the time we've been here, because suddenly committee meetings pop up that you didn't know you had. Yeah. Or you get asked to meet a lobby group who are interesting and need help. So you want to be there and you can change. And because, you know, because we have flexible tickets, we can change and do this stuff. Mm. But also there is something about the frequency of the flying. I mean, I don't want to sound like a wuss, but when I walk in and I do fly, I'm sorry, but it saves me an hour and a half each way. So that's like three hours in my week. That, and I'm sorry if that's bad. You can castigate me in September. Um, but that's what I do. I also live quite near Heathrow. So I'm saving on the petrol. I'm saving on those emissions. Um, but... There is an amazing calmness of mind that comes when you know your route and doing the same route and you you go to this check-in desk and I'm sorry, I'm sure it sounds like an indulgence, but you go through the quick line. You don't have to stand in queue with everyone, especially now as summer's been approaching. Um, And you can get through security easily. You can go to a lounge. Okay, sure. 
the other day I flew in on economy. I didn't, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I went and sat in a, a cafe and got some food. But you can go up to the lounge and it's largely there are fewer people around. Mm. And, and you, but you know where you're going. The decision is made. You know exactly where you're going and then you know where you're coming out to. Well, I think there are, there are and two... And you can work. Yeah. And you, you can, can work. work. There are two very strong arguments for doing it. And I would say one is that you can work because yeah. you have more space and, and a bit of peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. And for me, so I normally travel to Brussels by train and I cannot do it in less than eight hours. So eight it's an eight-hour commute twice a week. So for me, that's two full working days yes. that I spend on trains. And if I go in first class, I can sit in comfort and quiet and so the Eurostar for example can be absolutely rammed at the moment because a lot of people are going to Disneyland Paris and yes. you know it's full of holidaymakers but first class is reasonably empty and you know if you if you're spending 16 hours a week on trains that's actually quite a lot of working time yeah. Yeah. so I feel for me that's a justification and also the whole thing about getting through security so yes. I can arrive for, I can my train from Totnes to Paddington can quite often be late and then I have to get to King's Cross, to St Pancras. Yes. Um, if I'm going on business class, I have a chance of catching that Eurostar because mm. there's a shorter security queue. Mm -hmm. If I have to join the normal security queue, then I have to factor in yet another hour into my journey. So we're talking mm. nine hours. You yes. know, I, yes. you just can't do that twice no. a week, every week, no. all year round. It's, it's a phenomenal yes. amount of time. And um, if you feel like moaning at us and saying that we're being wasteful, <laughs> then try it. That's all I can yeah. say. Please try it. I, I, did, I did it standard class the first two weeks because yeah. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I've spent my life buying the cheapest travel ticket yes, for yes, everything. You know, and I will go on holiday a day later or a day earlier because EasyJet is cheaper. Yes. You know, I've always done that. I have never, ever, ever turned left on an aeroplane in my life I still haven't turned left on an mm. aeroplane in my life because mm. um, the flight I'm getting out of Paris this afternoon is fly B you know I, it's not expensive <laughs> um, but I think so the first two weeks I really struggled with the idea of buying a first class a business mm. class ticket because it was so expensive I thought I can't do this but actually it didn't take me long to realize why why we do it and, why we do it why yeah. we need to and um, yeah yeah so i'm all up for justifying that i'm, I'm not sure <laughs> i would fly every week judith but <laughs> yeah i know you can you can beat me beat me later or i'll do some calculations and work out my emissions record um which i do care about so i will yeah um anyway so yeah so we are off home now and we will be in the uk during august i'll do a quick plug oh, yes. for what i'm doing in the southeast i hope to be visiting street stalls uh, um, for Stop Brexit campaigners, where Stop Brexit campaigners are gathered. So if you are part of the For Europe um, uh, crowd, then please get in touch with my office. If you're part of Grassroots For Europe, please get in touch with my office. If you're a Lib Dem and you're holding a stall, please get in touch with my office. If you're a Green or a Labour, I can't quite help it, but um, they who are supporting Remain, then please get in touch. There are also going to be town hall events where anyone of any party, leave or remain, are welcome to come and ask questions. We love everybody. So come and talk to us and we can have a proper discussion about this and what happens next. And I am heading, I'm going to have one week's proper holiday. I might even turn my phone off. And then after that, I'll be heading to the southwest and I've got lots of things lined up. I will be visiting Cornwall and Dorset and Somerset and hopefully Wiltshire, Gloucestershire, 
all the rest of it, uh, visiting businesses and doing street stalls. Um, I've got some farm, farming things planned. Hopefully I'm going to get in touch with the fishing uh, crowd. Um, so lots and lots of, of visits to kind of inform my work and, and talk to people on the ground about what's happening. And just as a quick last thing, um, we have had lots of our European colleagues saying to us, oh, bon vacances, have a great holiday. <laughs> and I've looked at them with this sort of woeful look saying i'm actually going home to campaign against brexit for yes, the whole of absolutely. august and the look of horror on their faces because we are all utterly exhausted and yes. they're saying you poor things we really really feel for you we're going home for a holiday but there is only one message that we end this with it is stop brexit we stop have brexit. got to stop brexit and we've got to all pull together so if you've been listening to this and enjoying this then please however you choose to do it please keep on campaigning and we will be running the podcast through August. Uh, we've got some great pre-recorded material and we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us at Twitter. I'm at Caroline Bowden. I'm at Judith Bunting LD. And you can get in touch with all of us via at Lib Dem MEPs on Twitter.